I'm Dr. Jamie Grant. I'm a bossy femme bottom, and this is Just Sex, Mapping Your Desire. Listeners may know me as the founder of the Desire Mapping Workshop, which I've offered for the past 10 years on college campuses, at LGBTQ leadership and health conferences in the U.S., and at global human rights conferences on women's and LGBTI health, rights, and liberation. Desire Mapping has been a hit in Cape Town and Beijing, in St. Petersburg, Russia, and Wellington, New Zealand, and in the U.S. I've crisscrossed the country from Denver to Dallas to Detroit to D.C., This fall, I'm bringing the workshop to Seattle for the first time, and then back to Minneapolis for a series of community events. Just Sex, Mapping Your Desire is a desire travelogue of sorts, a sharing of the questions I've posed to people of all races, genders, sexualities, ages, and abilities in many different languages, cultures, and geographies, and the answers mappers have so generously offered about their sex and desire. Over the course of a decade of mapping, I've discovered a single commonality that might surprise you. The singular thing that desire mappers have in common is this. We all lie about what we want. We lie to strangers, we lie to our beloveds, and most of all, we lie to ourselves. Every single mapper I've met who has been willing to dig into that file cabinet, that place where we hold our most sacred and significant memories of intimacy, connection and yearning, has found gaps between what we actually want in those precious moments of connection and what we have been willing to ask for, how we have represented ourselves, and what we ultimately did or received. In each episode, I'll interview someone who has taken or led a desire mapping workshop and ask them about a point on their map. Often we will look at that perilous gap the gap between who we are in our waking and walking life, our identities, and who and what we want to do in bed. The reality is that all of us have had to fight for and form our identity and our sexuality with multiple forces working against us. Racism, sexism, queer, trans, and biphobias, and sex phobias. We've had to push back against the expectations and agendas of our parents, our mentors, the interwebs, churches, coaches, and sometimes even our closest friends. Desire Mapping asks us to look deeply at our sex stories for clues about our true selves, the true selves we may have left behind in that struggle. Today, I'm talking with Romeo Jackson. Romeo has led the Desire Mapping Institute and also a new workshop we presented this year called Discarding Our Sexual Scripts at the National LGBTQ Task Force's Creating Change Conference. Welcome, Romeo, and if you could introduce yourself in the way that we do at the workshop by offering three terms that describe your desire and also anything else that's important for us to know about you. Hi, uh, Romeo Jackson, uh, pronouns are they and them. Um, The three descriptors that I usually use are kiss, cuddle, and rimming, and also is my identity as a Black queer femme. Um, And I invoke those as personal identities, but also as political identities, as political orientations. Um, I'm also able-bodied in mind, born a U.S. citizen, and English is my first language. And I like to talk about all those things simultaneously, 
as they not only ground my political work, but also my desire um, and also my sexual life. Thank you. So, Romeo, as you know, our favorite thing in mapping is to share a sex or desire story. We ask people in the workshop to think about moments of desire that have made a lasting impression on them, things that have mattered. We live in a culture and society that really doesn't give us a lot of space for the vulnerability and the amazement and the shock of discovery and recognition that often comes with meeting ourselves and our deepest desires. We know like images of commercial sex, messages about what kind of sex we should and shouldn't be having, they're everywhere. But spaces to look at what has mattered to us and what those moments mean to us, those are pretty rare. And that's the space we try to create in the workshop. So do you have a mapping, a point on your desire map that you'd like to share with us today? Yes, yes. I have recently, and talked a little, a little bit about this at Creating Change this year, that I have re-fallen in love, I think, with intimacy and physical contact as a way to enjoy sex. And so much of that has been about, you know, thinking of sexual scripts, right? How I thought I should be engaging with sex. Um, when I first came out as a Black queer boy or man, and now as a Black trans femme person, so much of my sexual power resonated around my ability, I think, to enact emotionless, non-intimate sex. And the ability to do that in a way that, for me, felt safe, in a way that felt detached. And now I'm shifting into a point into my life where I just want to cuddle and hold hair. <laughs> And, like, I just want to like, kiss for a really long time. And, like, you know, I don't desire kind of show sex anymore. And it has been, I think, the most recent part of my own. When I think of, like, desire points, you know, trying to pinpoint that shift when it happened. What was going on in my life? Was this who I always was, but, but was just merely performing, right? This kind of non-intimate non-physical-based sex, right, that was mm -hmm. coming into my home, sucking my dick, and then leaving. Right. And, you know, and so, you know, and thinking about when this all started, I think, frankly, it is having two great loving partners who I feel so safe with and realizing that I think I've never really felt so safe and cared for with long-term or short-term or one-night stand partners before. Um, and that my defense mechanism, right, was to not cuddle, to not touch, to not kiss. And it is all just so much better. <laughs> like, you know, cuddling for hours with my partners is the best foreplay in the world. And I think discovering that recently has totally transformed um, my own connection to want to have sex, right? Like, it was... Um, for a while in my life recently, like sex felt like a chore, mm. like something that I had to do, something I had a physical urge to do, but mentioned emotionally I wasn't invested in. Um, and the moment I had frank conversations with my partners, the moment we touched more, we held more, we kissed more, we looked more, all the fireworks went off. And I'm happy that I allowed myself to do that and feel that and feel safe and be loved. And I think that was the most important piece of that. Well, and, you know, we, we talk a lot in the workshop too, about like having community uh, where you can really sort of maintain a conversation or sustain a conversation about how our desire changes and, 
and yeah. how we look critically at, at, you know, what we think we should be doing, what we actually want to be doing. How, how have you been able to do that since you've had this, you know, shift in the ways that you're enacting your desire and, and how's it been received? Yeah. Well, I think that's so key, right, that we think about desire as stagnant, right? And so like most, like most things, it isn't, right? right. We're always in a fluid place. And, you know, I, you know, I love consistency, processes, and patterns. <laughs> like, in my life, like, I'm like, I'm like, if one day we're doing this thing, we need to do that thing from here until forever. Right. <laughs> like, because, you know, for me, change is a trigger, right? Like, you know, I don't have positive associations with change, mm-hmm. you know. You know, my childhood was so inconsistent, right, uh, because of violence that, like, change is not a positive thing for me, right? Um, and I think in my desires, right, that really showed up because I thought that if I told my partners, long-term partners, right, that my desire had shifted, that that would be an issue, right, that they would reject me, that they would no longer want me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that my partners do really well is affirm my body, right, and affirm my embodiment, right, and affirm my blackness, affirm my feminist, affirm my gut, right? You know, that, right. you know, that, you know, that was a real source of power for me from them. Um, and that I was afraid that was going to stop. I was like, the moment I said that, you know, I don't want to like top you all the time, that they would reject me and end our relationship. But, you know, that didn't happen, you know. Um, and I think working up the courage to have that conversation, you know, was the hardest part. You know, the conversation was not hard, you know, once it started. Setting new boundaries was not hard once it started. I always say that my partners are very heart-oriented people, and I'm a very head-oriented person. And so they live for the hard stuff, you know. They like, they're like, yes, more of this, please. I'm like having all these strong reactions to my own stuff. Um, and I think now, like, it has opened the door for us to do, because I do like my pattern. So it's like, we have our monthly check-in, you know, where's our desires at? Like, how are they shifted? What do we want? You know, even what ongoing consent looks like in a long-term relationship. I think we had discovered that we had been taking for granted what each other wanted because we have just been doing it for so long. We really lost checking in with each other. And I think our returning to that in a very beautiful way. It's hmm, amazing. I love what you said about the conversation being easy once you started it, but actually getting to the point, you know, where we have the courage to think that we're worth raising these questions and that people are still going to be there. I mean, I think that across the board, I see people in mapping workshops really thinking they're, you know, they're imposters or they're the wrong kind of whatever they are, you know, whatever they identify and they don't really deserve the kind of space they want to take up. And, you know, as you said in your intro, like, you know, these identities that we have, they are core parts of us and they're also just political around the kinds of violence that is shaping what we think we can and cannot have. Yeah. Well, and how, you know, the the sexual script workshop was, you know, so impactful for me um, leading it, but also, you know, naming as a Black queer person, right, the sexual, like, right, the sexualization of Blackness, right, as a big Black cock to top and dominate you. That is the script in queer 
queer spaces and and how so much of my younger self had internalized that. And even as I had become radicalized around my own identities, I was still holding on to some of those pieces, right? Like, do I need to top? Like, is that something I actually want? And, you know, that was the first phase that I think I had really verbally out loud articulated that and made the connection that even for all of, I think, the like personal and political growth that continues to happen, I was still holding on to pieces of that. And it was a nice cocktail of that also mixed with my own unwillingness to be vulnerable, for, which for me meant allowing someone to penetrate me. So those things are kind of swirling around each other, I think, producing that script in a very interesting way, right? Which is all about my Blackness and like a feminist and, you know, what do people think that means when you say you're a Black femme and how you show up in sex and intimacy and wanting just to find what feels good. Like, I think one of the questions was, what are you denying yourself because of your politics? And I was undone by the question. (laughs) Having like a full blown, we just got articulated in the moment, right? Like I'm having a crisis a little bit, right? (laughs) Right. Because like, you know, my politics means so much to me and those were stopping me from experiencing pleasure that I wanted to experience. And so that is, I think the most vivid memory I have from the, from the spaces is my own willingness to be undone publicly is not something I do anywhere else, except in those type of spaces. One of the things we also talk about in the workshop is how sort of once we are able to step into what we actually do want more authentically, that it has kind of an, a cascading effect around our lives, right? That there's a kind of alignment and a kind of power that comes from the erotic, as Audre Lorde said long ago, and and that it, you know, it moves into our work and into our other relationships. And and have you had have you do you have anything to say about that about how that's gone for you? Workshop space was so critical because I think, you know, I was showing up as authentically as I could everywhere. I think except in my sexual relationships. So once so once the parents could talk about sexual desire and intimacy in kind of this ongoing, consistent way. For me, what that triggered is where we living our couple life, our relationship life in that way as well. You know, you know, I've um, recently been listening to a podcast called All of My Relations. And a lot of the indigenous and native folks who, who are on the podcast talk about being in good relation to all things. Um, and I've been thinking about that a lot in connection with sex and desire. Um, because Part of the ability to name a shift in desire is also for me about being in good relation to my partners, but also then are we doing that emotionally, like emotionally, right? Are we talking about our emotional desires? Are we talking about our desires for space? Are we talking about our desires to be with others in very frank ways? And so for me, that cascading effect has really taken off in my relationships like as a head person, you know, I find myself so much more in my heart, you know, so much willing to be in my heart because the hard conversations have paid off because I always feel better. Like I feel better now. My partners know that I want to cuddle for hours. Simultaneously need lots of space. Right. Like that, that, you know, that we're able to hold those contradictions in, in, in our desires and what other spaces can we hold those contradictions. And, you know, politically, that's always been my framework. And I think it was interesting because the desire mapping really forced me 
to bring my politics into sex, desire, and relationship in a way that I think I had kept them segmented for so long. You know, it really forced me to bring them together, you know, because I realized I wasn't living my values during sex or during relationships, <laughs> right? I was like, oh, well, I was like, what the fuck is this about, right? Like, you know, you're like, well, you know, you live so much of your life in this grounded kind of way. You know, you have this clear articulation of your vision. And, you know, desire mapping really pushed me to say, well, what is your sexual vision? Why are you dividing your political life from your sexual life in all these concrete ways? You know, and I think part of that is, you know, having a white partner, right, and not wanting to have really hard conversations around what does it mean to have a white partner, to have sex with a white person on a consistent basis. People are often shocked to have a white partner, right? That division, I think I realized during sexual scripts was really part of maintaining a quote-unquote pure politic that I think is unreasonable. So the other question I wanted to just explore a little, because you're talking about having partners and, uh, you know, our listeners, I think, probably are really interested in how we all are configuring our families and our sexual and, you know, uh, desire maps. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yes. And Kim Tallbear really brought this home for me and thinking about being in good relation with all things, because you know, and that language is so good for me because I didn't have language before. Like, you know, I used to be like, I'm a polyamorous, blah, blah, blah. I really can articulate that clearly. And, you know, my big thing always was I just didn't want to feel bounded. And, and when I makes me feel bounded, period. Right? Like, in that way, and I still do, and I do still tell people that because I'm like, you don't deserve access to my whole complex narrative around how I configure my relationships. And particularly, me and my partners talk about we are always in a state of returning and choosing to return to each other. So for me, like, I love long distance. It works for me really well. I like my space. I like to be alone. My day job requires a lot of a mental and emotional labor, and I want to come home and be alone. You know, I'm very introverted, but I masquerade as an extrovert, I always say. And so distance, I think, is one of the configurations that work really well for me. You know, my partners don't live in close proximity to me. And so we have to choose to see each other over and over again, which I love, you know. And when my partner articulated that to me, I was like, oh, we are. Because we could go months and months without seeing each other. And so I have a partner of three years, a partner of a year. I'm engaged in lots of anonymous random sex with people. And I think all those configurations allow me options to choose what I need in a particular moment. And, you know, my long-term partners, you know, are really my emotional anchors. You know, we are so honest and they hold me so accountable. And we are, I think, in such a powerful commitment to each other through all of it that, wow. Like, you know, that is the piece I think I was always yearning for but didn't know how to do within the framework of monogamy, right? Because, um, you know... One of my partners, right, can give me things my other partner can't. And I've always thought it was unfair, this notion that your partner should be everything to you. I was like, I don't know what that means. That's weird, right? Like, I have a vast network of people who do lots of things for me, right? Like, you know, you know, because like, right, and like my friendships have, you know, and my friendships have always been more important to me than romantic relationships, I think, before I began to access this language of being in good relation to all things. Because, you know, my friends are the people who, we're always there. They are, the, they are my emergency contacts. You know, they are 
the people who held me through breakups. They are the people who went with me to get my first HIV test. You know, they are the ones who pushed me to try new things. And so for me, like, those were always my anchor. Um, And I never felt the need to have that in a quote-unquote romantic sense, even though me and my friends are very intimate and very close, right? And, And cuddle a lot and hold each other and we hold hands a lot. One of my partners is asexual and really pushing me to challenge what it meant to have a quote-unquote romantic partner with no sex. And so that's how I'm configuring currently. Um, It's a lot. I would say it is a lot more talking than I thought I would ever do with partners. (laughs) For me, like, and, and I used to hate that part. You know, I used to be like, oh my God, we have to talk about this again. But you know, that consistent communication it really keeps us on the same page and, and it keeps me emotionally honest. You know, right. once again, you know, my partners keep me so emotionally honest. They can see right through it. I'll be talking to one of my partners and they'll just say straight out, like, you haven't named an emotion yet, you know? <laughs> and they're like, what are you feeling? And I'm like, I've told you what I'm feeling. And they're like, you no. literally have not feeling. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, leave me alone. Like, shit, like, you know, and that's so powerful. Like, that's like, that's the kind of shit I'm like, wow, how lucky am I to have someone who refuses to let me be this emotionally dishonest with myself and them? I, I just really want to thank you for how generous and uh, vibrant this conversation's been. Is there, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to make sure you told our listeners about your map or about how this is all going for you? Yeah, I think, you know, I am, as I've mentioned, I'm not the hard vulnerability person. And I think for the first time I did desire mapping, I was convinced this wasn't for me. Right? Mm. I was like, was like, I think these people are like going to be in their feelings. And, <laughs> you know, I just, you know, because I was like, I'm not trying to deal with that, you know, like blah, blah, blah. Like I remember leading it. I was like, oh my God, they started crying. What am I going to do? You know, like, you know, I was at a very different place when I first started doing this. Like, I was like, whoo. Um, but I think even for the head logic person that I am, it was such an enriching and beautiful thing. And that's what I tell, you know, my friends who I think are head head people, um, is that we too get so much out of it. Like it is, you know, this bearing witness publicly is so powerful. And I think that is what I get the most out of it. Um and creating a space where I can say that I'm undone publicly is so rare, you know? Right. And so I'm so, so thankful for that. Well, and I'm so thankful for you. And i um, excited to see you on our mapping journeys as we go from here. So thanks so much, Romeo, for being with us. Thank you. And now it's time for da, 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 definition of the day. Today, um, I want to offer definitions that have been created during the Desire Mapping Workshop. Whenever we start the workshop, we ask mappers to pick three words to describe their desire and affix these words to their name tags. This opening exercise helps us think about what kind of worlds we might create if we were free and excited to introduce ourselves to each other with the who, how, and what we like to do in bed. Over time, Mappers have put literally thousands of descriptors on their name tags in dozens of languages and cultures, in diverse religious, 
political, and geographic contexts. I'll offer a few here. First word, orgasmic. Descriptor of a person of any gender or sexual orientation who can come to orgasm via oral, digital, or other stimulation of the ear. Orgasmic. Next, foot worshiper. Descriptor of a person of any gender or sexual orientation whose gratification hinges on devotion to the feet of consenting and delighted partners. Foot worshiper. Giggler. Descriptor of a person of any gender or sexual orientation who giggles in response to sexual stimulation and or orgasm. Giggler. And finally, greedy. Descriptor of a person of any gender or sexual orientation who responds to gratification of their desire by wanting more, more, more. Greedy. Hey, we're going to take a little break from the show to let you know about my fantastic sponsors. First, Grinder for Equality, a global human rights program leveraging the power of our social and sexual connections for LGBTQ liberation rights and safety around the world. Also, I'd like to thank Elizabeth Scott, a longtime desire mapping fan who took the workshop over 10 years ago, a feminist philanthropist based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And finally, the Freeman Foundation, also one of my long-term supporters, a foundation that centers the power of the erotic in LGBTQ liberation work. Thanks, everyone. And finally, it's time for question of the day. In this part of the pod, we pose one of the core questions of the Mapping Desire Workshop to help you on your mapping desire process. Today, I'm going to pose one of my favorite questions in the group. What lovers or crushes do I miss most, and what do I miss about them? What lovers or crushes do I miss most, and what do I miss about them? I hope this question is helpful to you on your journey, and I'd love to hear from you. Just email us at justsexpod at gmail.com. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please head over to iTunes and give us a zillion stars. Send a link to your friends. Talk us up. If you'd like to respond to the show or stay connected, find us on social media under Just Sex Podcast and Desire Mapping. And if you have questions for me about your desire map or comments, you can email me at justsexpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you.